Welcome to Celebration Church's podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and trust Him more. To learn more about Celebration Church, please visit us at celebrationchurchlive.com. Rolling in the seventh part of this series that we've called Before the Door. And we've got one more week of this, and then we start a, another series. We're going to look up before too long. It's going to be Easter, man, so be in preparation and thought about that. And so it's a great time to, to bring friends and family and maybe people you feel like could, could, uh, uh, would enjoy being a part of Celebration Church. And so we just begin to put that on your mind. But if you've got your Version app open, you got your bulletin we handed you, this is where we kind of connect with that. And we've looked at this concept over, and again, this is the seventh time we've jumped off from this place as we are looking at this concept that life on the other side of the door is impacted by what you do before you walk through it. Here we are, we're on the other side of the door. We're living life. We're, we're connected out here. This is where we work. This is where we connect with others. This is where our life happens. But we all start on the other side of a door. We all start in our home. We all start in our bedroom. And there are things that we can do in those moments that begin to impact things that haven't even happened yet. The, the, the rest of the day is still before us and there's some significant things. And, and a lot of times we forget those or we don't prioritize them or those types of things because the truth is we just don't really value them. We don't see how important they are. We do this thing that the scriptures say we can begin to despise them. And that doesn't mean I, you know, I hate your stinking guts. It means I, I just not I'm not valuing them. I'm not holding them in the right regard. In Zechariah chapter 4, verse 10, it's kind of been our launch place, that of do not despise these small beginnings. These little things at the beginning, these small steps uh, matter. For the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. He rejoices to just see it get started, to just see the ball get rolled, to see the first step made. He rejoices to see the work begin, to see the plumb line there in Zerubbabel's hand. And Zerubbabel is, is a guy from the Old Testament who was part of the advance team and rebuilding a, a broken down Jerusalem. Jerusalem had been, had been uh, destroyed by its enemies and Zerubbabel was part of a team to go back and begin to rebuild. And, and you know, so many times we like to celebrate the, the completion of something. And here God is celebrating the beginning of something. It just has the plumb line and just has it strung out there. This is where we're going to start. No stone has been fixed. No building is inhabitable. No wall is, is, is erected. Nothing is there but a beginning. It says the Lord rejoices to see it. And we can so easily miss out and despise these small beginnings. And we've talked about spending time in God's word on a regular basis before the door, spending time in, in reading the, the scriptures and, and thinking about what they have to say to us. Talked about prayer, talked about um, having a place of gratitude and, and thanksgiving. Uh, we talked about um, what it looks like to, to worship um, in our home. We have a, a wonderful corporate worship, but we ought to also be worshiping uh, on our own. We talk about what it means to share our God story, which people can call that witnessing, but it's just letting people know what God's doing in your life. It doesn't have to be heavy uh, handed. It's just being open about what God's doing in your life. And today um, we're going to talk about another piece that m most people uh, don't want the preacher messing with. And so guess what? The offering's already been passed, folks. The buckets have already gone by. We're not passing them again. Okay. Um, but we are going to talk about generosity. 
uh, because this is a key part and should be a regular part of our, of our lives. Generosity is important. And that a heart that is ready to give is a heart that gives cheerfully. But it has to be ready. It has to be prepared. It has to be in that moment that's ready to give. 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says, Each man should give as he is decided in his heart to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. God wants us to be able to give cheerfully. And if you've been in this church thing for a while, you've been around this idea of giving at church, that it can feel like that there's this thing where, where God's more like this mobster who's come, this gangster who's come to get his protection money. You know, you give this and then, you know, I'll, I'll, you know, keep you safe and I'll do this kind of stuff. God is, he's not a mobster. He is God the Father, not the Godfather. And so we have to recognize that. And if we feel like that, that our giving is some sort of transactional thing with God, that somehow we're buying some place of favor or something like that, we're, we're missing, we're missing the thing that it should be just cheerfully generous. That is what New Testament giving and New Testament generosity is about. And this before the door moment is the decided in the heart time. It's before you come. That's why if you've been around Celebration Church for a while, you know that every time before we do the the giving part of the service, I always say, this is where those who came prepared to give that we do that. I don't step into that moment trying to uh, tell you to, that you now need to make a decision to give or, or tell a story that pulls your heartstrings to be able to make you to give. This is for those who've already purposed. This is where we do that. We're going to focus and we're going to make it a part of our worship. We're going to look at a passage of scripture. We're going to see why it's intentional and why it's important. So we're not going to do it flippantly. And so, but it's not an arm twisting compulsion trying to squeeze something out of you. And so I love that via our digital giving that we have a lot of you who give at home. You've done it on the other side of the door. You've opened your your phone or your computer and you logged in and, and you gave and it had nothing to do with somebody being on a stage and saying that this needs to happen. It was a decided in your heart thing. And I love that. That is what we want to see. That is what this is about. But we've got to decide in our hearts. We have to think about it. So that means what are we going to give? How are we going to give? Needs to be something we think about and we include our heart. We decided in our heart to give. He decided in his heart to give. There are places you care about. There are people you care about. There are causes and things you care about. And that begins to stir this thing up in there. And then you begin to decide, what am I going to do to be able to respond? And that should be a before the door type of activity. I know of people, I'm not a cash person. I don't like to carry cash because my cash will just like evaporate. It goes places. I have no idea where it went. And so, but my wife likes to have some cash. And so I, I'll, I know we go anywhere. I always go to the basketball games. Um, I walk up and they're like, she paid for you. I'm like, good. Because I'd have been standing outside listening because I can't pay the three bucks to get in. Uh, because I don't have any cash, but she always has cash. She likes to have cash. And, uh, but I know people who put cash in their pocket every morning, a $20 bill, a 50, and a guy who keeps a day's wages in ones in his front pocket. 
And all of these men do that to just be able to be ready to give. That they go out and to say, Lord, you know, if somebody's in need today, if there's a moment that I can begin to give and to step out, then I'm prepared. I have the cash. I have it set aside for that. It's not for something else. It's for generosity. And that's what it's for. And they've decided not just to be able to give out in the, in the church or that moment, but just give real time. Just give on the fly. And they're like, they're like God's gunslingers, man. They're like ready. Like, Lord, tell me. Tell me. I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll give. It's in my pocket. And um, they're ready to go. And, and, you know, that's inspiring. Somebody who's thought about it and is purposed about it. And there are those um, who, who really get excited about that. And it comes back to this concept. John 3, 16, the most well-known passage of Scripture for God. So loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. This whole thing, the most well-known scripture centers on God's willingness to be generous. To give and to give something of such incredible value of his son. Um, We see that God is a giver, folks. God is a giver. And so it's natural that those growing in his image would be givers too. It's natural. Our Heavenly Father's a giver, so his children ought to be givers. Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave himself up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things to enjoy? That Jesus, he gave Jesus. If that's his, That shows his commitment to be involved in our lives. We look at Matthew 20, verse 28. This is Jesus talking. It says, Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus wasn't here laying down his life because Heavenly Father told him to. That's not why he was here. He wasn't here because Heavenly Father told him to. He did it because Jesus wanted to do it. That's what it was about. He's a giver. See, generosity is in our genes. It is spiritually in our spiritual DNA. That's why this, today's message is titled Generosity. And you can go ahead and sigh and roll your eyes because it's cheesy. I know. My wife already did both of those things. And so, but you'll remember it. You'll remember that the cheesy sticks. It's, it just does. And, uh, but generosity, it's, it's, it's in our genes. It's who we are. And to not be generous is to be less of your true self. That if we're made in the image of God and we're children of God, to not be generous in life is to be less of your true self. And folks, this is not the only place. The church is not the only place to be generous. And if, if church is the only place you're generous, you are missing opportunities all around you to be generous. There are people in need. There are things that need to be done that we need to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And you see them. They're not coming through the church office. They're not coming through those different things. You see them. And if God puts it on your heart, and you need to be able to be prepared to respond. That is how God has called us to. And there are those who get passionate about this and excited about this and, and live for it. And they're inspirational. And we got a little video we want to show you about a, a guy who loved to give. By world renowned inventor and industrialist R.G. Letourneau and his wife Evelyn. Though he had given his life to Christ early on, R.G. Letourneau had also heeded the advice that God needs businessmen as much as pastors. 
and became one of the world's most prolific inventors with almost 300 patents. He became known as a mover of men and mountains. Inventions included the forerunner of the modern earth mover, the electric wheel, the tree crusher, the log picker, the bulldozer, the airplane tow, the air crane, and the first offshore oil platform. He designed and built 70% of the heavy earth-moving equipment used in World War II. Evelyn Letourneau, in addition to rearing six children, conducted Bible studies, started Christian youth camps, and counseled, fed, and even housed the young men her husband employed. R.G. and Evelyn had a goal to reach the world, especially young people, with the gospel of Christ. An early camp employee was a very young Billy Graham. One day in 1945, the Letourneaus were flying over Longview, scouting locations for a new heavy equipment factory. They looked down upon the 156 acres and 232 buildings of the abandoned Harmon Army General Hospital, scheduled for demolition. They agreed that the facilities should not be destroyed, but instead reclaimed as a school to train employees. And in 1946, the Laterno Technical Institute opened its doors with 196 students. Degrees were offered in building trades, electrical maintenance, industrial science, lithography, metallurgy, machine tooling, and welding. The growing Technical Institute was expanded with a School of Arts and Sciences and renamed Laterno College in 1961. R.G. Laterno was passionate about giving. He was obviously a, a brilliant man and, and very successful as a businessman, but he did it from a concept of, of taking his talents and his skills and putting them before God. Um, there for the bulk of his life, he gave 90% of his personal income away. 90%. Somebody doesn't accidentally give away 90% of their income. It is a decided in their heart thing to do. And it's, it's easy to get excited and see these epic givers, these people who are passionate about it and, and wired for it and give on these huge things and establish universities and, and, and help missions programs go around the world. And, and it's real easy to be excited about that and think, man, that's, that's obviously what, what God's called them to do, but, but what about me? What about me? I'm, I'm no R.G. Laterno. I'm no business person. I'm no person who can be able to give 90% of my income. And this is where we've got to fight that thing of despising those small beginnings. Because even in that place, even in a place where maybe things feel a little tighter or whatnot, God still wants to utilize us in a significant way. In fact, Paul rejoices about that very thing in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Here he writes and he says, Now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. If we just paused right there, our minds spiritually could go in all sorts of places. We want to know about the grace given to the Macedonian churches. We cover lots of different bases. But here he goes. He says, In the midst of a very severe trial. That doesn't sound like a very cool moment. This isn't a mountaintop moment. It's a very severe trial. Severe's bad. Trial's bad. Severe trial's bad. Very severe trial is extra, extra bad. Okay? It says, their overflowing joy. Okay, now that throws me off. 
because very severe trial doesn't sound like you're going to find any overflowing joy. So something was different about these people. It says, and their extreme poverty. What? This very severe trial, extreme poverty, but somehow as there was still this baseline of overflowing joy, it welled up in, a, in rich generosity. They, even in the middle of that, they were still said, we're wired to be generous. And even though we don't have pockets full of money, we're still going to be generous. We hear about a need. We hear about what's happening over in these other places. And we want to make a difference. And they stepped in and did it. He goes on to say, for I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability entirely on their own. They were cheerful givers, even in the middle of a very difficult, hard situation. 2 Corinthians 8, 7 says, just as you excel in everything. Excel means to be able to get better and better and better at. Okay, And so you excel. You get better and better and better. Okay, Um, In faith, in speech, in knowledge, all of these things we see as Christians we want to excel in, right? We want to excel in faith. We want to excel in in speech and being able to articulate what we believe and why we believe it. We want to excel in knowledge. We want to know God better and trust him more. We want to excel in complete earnestness. This means not being fake. Here, the the church people ought to be setting the standard for not being fake. Lord, help us. Help us. But we ought to be really awesome at not being fake. At not being hypocrites. So let's, we, we need to work on that. All these things are stuff that are our priorities. Faith and, and, and not be fake and, and speech and all these things. And in love. Of course we want to excel in love. It says, but see that you also excel in this grace of giving. That we also, on top of all this other stuff, which is important, excel in this grace of giving. This is something we can get better at. This is something we can grow in. See, the willingness to give your time, talents, and treasure keeps your heart focused on the things of real or true value. Jesus spoke in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6. He says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where... Your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It is, they're completely connected. They're commingled. There's no avoidance of that. Is that there, there's this place where, where you make a commitment um, with your resources. It, it reveals what is important to you. And so we got this stuff. You already know this isn't mine. I had to hold up cutie to get it. And, um, and so, but it, it is a, shows us what's important. And so we look at our life and there are things that are, that are needful, right? There are things that are needful, you know. We want to be, uh, be able to have a roof over our heads. And so, you know, we've got to be able to pay the, pay the rent or, you know, pay the mortgage and do these different things. And we, we've got to be able to do that. And then we... You know, we want to have a life, you know, and be able to have some fun and, and do some different things. And uh, have this, this side over here is important over here. And, you know, and then we want to go, uh, you know, 
We like to go out to eat every once in a while. Oh, wait a second. We're taking all the kids with us. Oh, that's going to take a different one. And so, uh, so uh, yeah, we have seven kids. It's Burger King's expensive for us. And so, um, anyways, you got all these different things. And then, oh, man, I'm going to need some clothes. I'm going to need some clothes over here. I need some different things. And, oh, we got to just keep the light bill on. You know, we got to see. And, you know, man, you know. What's up with San Angelo water? Is that stuff made of gold? My goodness, man. A bill keeps going up more and more and more. And, you know, and then we see all of these different things that begin to, that we commit to. And, you know, and then the kids, they have needs. They've got to be able to buy some stuff. And we've got to do some things over here with them. And, and then we look up and, and pretty soon we see where all of our commitments have gone. And what is important And what we value, and we begin to see this place that where we commit it, that is where it's important. And we can look up and see that everywhere we've committed our resources begins to reveal our heart. And I did not do very good this time. That's a a lopsided. That looks more like an actual heart, like a human heart. And so, but you'll notice, um, uh, there was something we never did. We took care of all of these important peripheral things, but man, there was somebody down the street that was in need and we didn't do anything about that one because what if over here or something else, whenever we're not generous, we can find that there's a hole still left in our heart. There's a place. And just like there are people, there's probably somebody in this room that has a heart murmur, has a hole in their heart, and you're here and you're functioning and you're doing just fine. There are those that, have, that when your heart is not functioning, when there's a hole in it, you can still live and you can still move forward and you can do it, but it's not functioning at its optimum. It's not doing it. Even everything that needs blood is not being able to get there all that it should. And so all of a sudden we feel like because we've doubled down on these things that somehow they're going to be better. But here's the way it works with God. That if we begin to recognize that it's not completely about us, but God has called us to be able to be people who are generous and to be involved and that maybe we didn't need all of that over there. Maybe we didn't need as much as we thought over here. And then we begin to be generous and to give towards missions and to do these different things, we begin to see that we can actually, instead of living with a hole in our heart, we can live wholehearted. We can live the way we were called to truly live. But if we leave the generosity piece out, everything suffers. Everything suffers. Somehow when we step into generosity, everything else begins to get even more. It begins to be blessed. Matthew chapter 6 verse 24 says, no one can serve two masters. He will either hate the one and love the other or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve both God and money. And a lot of times we can look at our own lives and we can see an R.G. Letourneau. We can see somebody who's super generous and, and does these different things in the community. And then we look at us and we're like, man, I, what I've got to give Isn't that significant? Lots of people can do that. Lots of people can meet that need. Lots of people can do that thing. And all of a sudden, we begin to despise what's here 
in us because it doesn't seem that unique. It doesn't seem that significant. I want us to quickly turn to Numbers chapter 7. Here in Numbers chapter 7, um, it's a super long chapter of the Bible, and I used to um, read it before the version reading programs came out. I'd read through my Bible every year, and you'd read three chapters a day, five on Sundays, and you do that, and you read all the Bible. And so, but not all chapters are the same length. And so, you know, you look at uh, the middle of, of Psalms, and you see, you know, well, here's, uh, you know, here's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight chapters right there. That's like, Almost three weekdays of reading. I was like, you know, I was immature. I don't know. Um, and so, you know, and then, but you get over here to Numbers chapter 7. Numbers chapter 7 starts right here in Numbers chapter 7. 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 Numbers chapter 7 finally ends over here. So I was reading Numbers chapter 7. And we're going to read part of Numbers chapter 7. Numbers chapter 7, verse 12, it says, The one who brought his offering on the first day was Nashon, son of Aminadab, of the tribe of Judah. His offering was one silver plate weighing 130 shekels and one silver sprinkling bowl weighing 70 shekels, according to the sanctuary shekel, and each filled with the finest flour mixed with olive oil as a grain offering, one gold dish weighing 10 shekels filled with incense. And it goes on for three more verses and then it begins to repeat that over again, verbatim, 12 times. That exact, no change in the wording, 12 times. So I'm sitting there reading that, and I'm like, this is long, and nothing has changed. And yes, I was immature, and folks, even in your immaturity, if you'll be honest in your immaturity, God can help you grow. If you'll just be honest in your immaturity. And I was immature, and I was like, Lord, I, I can help you with some editing here. I can help you, okay? We can say this exact thing. Nothing gets left out. We say this, take these seven verses. That's great. And then all you got to do was say was given by these 12 people. Bam! 65 verses. There, less trees get killed. We're ecologists here, Lord. All's good. You know, we two less pages of paper. We're all's good here. And I was griping about it being so long. I was like, what's the purpose? Even the 12 days of Christmas, you get something new every once in a while. Some poppers popping, some drummers drumming. There was nothing changing in that. Nothing. Except for one thing. And the Holy Spirit just kind of spoke it to me. That one thing that changes is the name of who gave it. It's the name. Just because it was the exact same gift as somebody else didn't mean that it was, wasn't unique in, to them. And finally, we came to this, that just because it's not unique to you does not mean it's not uniquely yours. We so want to be different and unique and stand out. And when you're placed, we feel like it's just, it's just another thing. It's just there. How can it make a difference here in San Angelo? How can my little gift make a difference here in San Angelo? How can my little gift make a difference in global missions? How can my little difference make a difference in this need of a family who's just lost everything on Facebook and all I can do is put in $20, $50? How is that going to make a difference 
If the God of the universe, the Holy Spirit, took time to speak to your heart, it must make some kind of a difference. If the Holy Spirit is leading you, it must make some kind of a difference. We can then begin to despise something small and step out of some of these places of generosity. God has called us to make a difference. Because guess what? If we all individually respond on some of those things, it begins to pile up and make a difference. It begins to do it. We can't despise these small beginnings. See, giving is an act of grace where we extend the grace that we have received. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7 says, Each man should give what he's decided in his heart to give. We've cycled back around. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. That's a whole lot of alls and everys. God is very involved in this, people. As it is written, he is scattered Uh, He has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness and you'll be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity result in thanksgiving to God. This is why we can begin to be these people who are cheerful givers. Because God's involved, people. He's involved. And when we begin to open our hearts in generosity, we begin to act a little more like who we were meant to be all along. And it changes things. First Peter 4.10 says, Each of you should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. Folks, our bottom line today is generosity. It's in our genes. It's in our spiritual DNA. We're called to be a generous people, not just on Sunday mornings, not just on these things. Praise God, part of your giving here, we automatically give. We, as a church, practice this. One of the first checks we write goes to the world to, to carry the gospel to the world. And we give thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars away every year. But folks, it ought to be in your life, not just here. It ought to be happening in, out in the wild of you just being generous real time. And I'm telling you, it makes a difference. Make a difference in your life and it'll make a difference in the world. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Celebration Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.